Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binary. It's another exciting episode of I Am The Night, the show here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network, where the Ray family usually talk about retroactive episodes of Batman the Animated Series. I'm hosting today Adam Ray, as you can expect, because somewhere deep in the dark caves of the Batcave itself, my dear father Stephen Ray has got himself lost looking for goodies and tech for Batman to hopefully let him borrow. But in the meantime, I'm more than happy to take the helm, and I am fortunate to have a welcome returning friend of the show and DC Comics News contributor James accompanying me. How are you today, my good pal? Good. Gone, gone the form of Steve and rise the demon me again. <laughs> very fitting and very on theme for today's episode, The Demon Within, written by Rusty Bjornhull and uh, Dan Berkowitz and uh, directed by Atsuko Tanaka. Um, yeah, so I've said it a couple of times in the show, I'm just going to reiterate it here to you, dear listeners. A lot of these episodes are very fresh for me. They are ones I hadn't seen going forward because back when the show came out i was like knee high to a grasshopper so a lot of these are fresh new experiences so when i hear demon i think Krasol ghoul so i was pleasantly delightfully surprised when i hear the name oh oh uncle blood so it's oh wow in my in my batman anime series let's go how was you how were your thoughts on the episode i remember thinking the exact same thing because the demon within because the demon quest was a big like multi-part episode for the series. So mm -hmm. the demon within is a good, it's a good one, like especially introducing a few new characters that are, they expand the mythos a bit, not just Batman characters. Yes, they were very welcome, very unlikely uh, magic users from somewhere within the, uh, the Rolodex of Justice League Dark. But uh, the focus of course is on Jason Blood, who we don't meet right away. First off, we meet the, uh, the sinister clarion at, uh, the auction hall there in Gotham City where Bruce Wayne is doing billionaire Bruce Wayne things just to sort of make himself seen out in the uh, out in the wider context of just a frivolous billionaire bidding on stuff. But of course we realise he's there for a purpose, but he's good to dress it up, wouldn't you say? And the reason Tim Drake's with him is to avoid Tim sitting at home playing video games. <laughs> yes, I can definitely relate to being made to go into the outside to go do things with the grown-ups. Um, I still do that. Uh, to, to... But nevertheless, it's uh, it was a welcome side quest for both characters, so we can definitely expect to see uh, Tim in the outside, and we find the unlikely the unlikely clarion, the boy sorcerer from... Uh, DC Comics past, and he's just as sinister and slimy as you'd expect. But I think the real surprise was the important demon character himself. But of course, those who don't know him don't only know them as two separate characters. Almost Jason Blood. He was got the classic silver streak. Brilliant yeah. design, I'd say. Yeah, it was a it was a a fun one. Like I I was today years old when I realised that it was Billy Zane. Oh yeah. Jason Blood, like I, I was rewatching it, and I was like, "That voice sounds familiar." And it's the, the, the fan cast of all fan cast for Lex Luthor. It was Billy Zane. <laughs> sure enough, yes, we've uh, pleasantly surprised like the talent of Billy Zane, one of uh, Biff Tannen's best friends from the Back to the Future <laughs> movies, and uh, that slimy, well-to-do, false love interest of Kate Winslet from Titanic. But of course, uh, heart and soul of various DC animations here and there, and the voice of the legendary Ansem from the Kingdom Hearts games. So, honestly, a voice you'd never expect, but that's just the power of uh, Andrea Romano's voice casting. She can get just about anyone, and he has the range for 
both of these characters because he voices Jason Blood and the demon. Yeah, and uh, quite a bassy demon voice, isn't it? <laughs> There's quite quite a running theme of Titanic actually, with with obviously Billy Zane in this episode and Clarion voiced by I wrote it down Stephen Wolf Smith, who was also in Titanic for a cameo. Yes, indeed, he was. Uh, he was one of the stewards who sort of yep. like wandered around waiting tables, not really credited. But uh, his laundry list of uh, uh, accomplishments is quite good. I think we'll we'll get to that a little bit later, as long as uh, the other guest voice, Peter Renaday, who did the auctioneer right here at the beginning. But let's uh, let's focus more on the uh, the meat of the adventure itself. So we see Bruce Wayne interject and bid millions for this priceless relic from Arthurian Britain until eventually we find out who this Jason Blood figure is for when this demon cat creature somewhat attacks. I think they handled the grand magical transformations in a really interesting way, very true to when the character came around. But what was your take on the first appearance of the demon himself? It gave me Clayface vibes from the original. Like when he's transforming, you see the skin and everything kind of bubbling and rolling. And like it looked really like like American Werewolf in London, like a painful transformation of yeah. that's a that's a good that's a good analogy. I I always did love American Werewolf, just like that classic sort of pulp horror with the sort of light yeah. tone to it. Because even though Etrigan is a demon, one of the more powerful demons from DC's version of Hell, he's still always been inherently a good guy, as explained, helping Merlin and Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and still helping humanity going forward. So seeing that kind of like unholy sort of bubbling, twisting, warping transformation, similar with that cat creature that works for Clarion to bring the relic back to him. Um, yeah, it's uh, a, a callback to old horror, but still in a way that's ethereal enough and so as not to scare off too many of the little kids. Yeah, this this one does push on the, the, the darker side, doesn't it? Like when they first talk about um, Uncle, Uncle Jason with Clarion and they go, I'm not really related to him. He just says that to annoy me. And they went, what about his parents? And they go, he turned them into mice. And then <laughs> we zoom in on the cat, which is like kind of licking its lips. And you're a bit like, did he feed his own parents to that demon cat? <laughs> like, that is the that is the association. But that just sort of very effortlessly and easily just sort of shows how sinister this Clarion kid is. Uh, we can't underestimate a powerful sorcerer despite their age. And... I think there's always been a thing in that kind of horror where creepy kids are always abound. And this creepy kid definitely shows off his magical powers by uh, binding the demon to a new master. Yeah, that was that was an interesting one because you see kind of when the demon is coming at Batman or Bruce at the time, like this feels like one of the few times where Bruce is genuinely a bit unsettled. Like mm. this is a guy who's fought Bane, Killer Croc, like, and then he sees Etrigan coming towards him, and he's like, tells Robin, like, run, like, this is this <laughs> this is a powerful character, and it is because, like, obviously Etrigan is he's quite a threat. <laughs> oh yeah, like a threat that is something that Batman could find a lot of trouble with in two ways. He's a threat because of the powerful magic and because he's physically imposing. Having yeah. both of those, especially someone that he had always seen as an ally, because he goes in to that auction house, backs up Jason Blood to get in that, uh, the, uh, the holy brand that Morgana used and gives it back to him, no questions asked. So there's a lot of implied history here. So it's uh, very much like akin to the Justice League Darks of now. So this might be their first real efforts to try and like bring in other bigger quote-unquote names because we've seen 
uh, Zatanna and Zatara in flashbacks and in their own episodes way back in season one. So I like that it's the big, ambitious, magical characters we've been seeing so far. Uh, but like mainstays of the Justice League, we won't get until the main Justice League series of the 2000s. And in my opinion, I don't know if you agree, the character design of this Batman and of course the continued uh, perfect portrayal by Kevin Conroy, maybe in my opinion, it was that same Batman across those shows as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'm glad you agree with that. I think a lot of people do, but it's worth asking about. But the actual bringing in of other heroes that Batman trusts off the bat is such a nice thing to sort of expand this this little corner of the DC universe. Oh, the the DC animated universe, like the, the Bruce Tim created one, I see it as one like from Batman's origin in Mask of the Phantasm all the way to Grandpa Bruce in the episode of Justice League Unlimited epilogue. Like that oh, yeah. is one continuous story from start to finish. And I I like I think the next time we see Etrigan in that universe is in the Justice League episode where they're all turned into kids. Oh. That oh, is I'll just, like quite so a ways good. off. So good. Uh, definitely emulating that one episode of Star Trek Next Generation. That yeah. was a weird episode, but a lot, but one of my personal favorites. But still, like even with that whole continued uh, continued Tim universe, there's even elements of that Grandpa Bruce who becomes like the crotchety old mentor type in Batman Beyond. So they're all they're all connected. And of course, we see uh, Terry McGuinness's Batman Beyond in the episodes of, Ju of the Justice League Unlimited where they go into the future. So there's definitely elements where it feels nice to see them all interconnected and those characters as like grand heroes, no matter who they're portraying them with. Yeah, like, and uh, they, they do, it's a couple of like soft introductions, like with Zatanna, obviously he knows her and she's in this series. Then later on in Justice League, it's not like Zatanna meet Batman. They already know each other. And yeah. like when he, Superman in the world's finest movie, later on in Justice League, they know each other. So it does feel like a continuation, which I really liked. And Morgana's brand that's used in this episode to control Etrigan, no, not Morgana, Morgan Le Fay, she is later a villain in Justice League as well. Yeah. So uh, I, yeah. Oh, it's absolutely connected. I love it. Oh, I love it too. Like that big, wider, interconnected universe, that brand, those bold crossovers, they're just rewarding to see like storytellers working and con connecting each other and just respecting each other's work. It's so rewarding. But of course, it all started right here in Batman the Animated Series. And with this perfect introduction of Etrigan, we do get to see what happens when the demon's power is misused because, of course, Clarion takes control and, like a spoiled little kid, he does the sensible thing that a little kid wants to do, uh, going into um, adult-rated movies and trying to uh, take as much cake and ice cream as he wants. That's, there's, there's a few little Easter eggs there with the... There's uh, so many, I love those. The movie that he sees is the uh, it's like the Devastator... Devastator Part Three with a uh, whose last name is like, like, Shaken Pepper or something yeah. like in Pepper, which is fun. Well, uh, at least in my head, it uh, he comes out of the movie so disappointed that he makes Etrigan just destroy the cinema. Yeah. So at least in my head, Batman the Animated Series predicted how mediocre Terminator Three was. Yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> uh, I love that franchise, but that movie was questionable in places. But we're here to talk about good media only. Did you see the name of the cake shop? 
I thought I'm glad you pointed that out. Kirby's Cakes, of course, a Kirby's not cakes. so subtle reference to Jack Kirby, Etrigan's creator. That was good fun too. And and the <laughs> that so Kirby's Cakes stood out, and obviously <laughs> Schwarzenegger reference as well. Yeah. But the 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 ice cream like Etrigan ripping open an ice cream truck, like you're talking about someone who could probably stand toe to toe with like Superman and not not be too outmatched like ripping open an ice cream truck and then to be just honest, yeah sorry to cut you off i think it would be actually quite a close fight because etrigan's got a lot of magical power magic yep also in this episode you we do see batman using the occasional bit of magic mm. which was a bit of a, a shock for me because obviously he, he like doesn't doesn't like to doesn't like to juice on occasion, like in terms of overdoing what he knows how to do. But yeah, I think yeah, I think it's important that uh, Batman stays straight and narrow and very stoic about things. He doesn't want to like overindulge because we've seen what he does uh, back back at Batman Venom when he was so reliant on that that he had to sort of like juice up, but then it sort of drove him crazy. I think we got good elements of that in the. Uh, in the Robert Pattinson movie, because that stuff he shoots himself with right at the end, like yeah. that that's Venom until it's, concerned, until it's confirmed otherwise. So <laughs> there's times when Batman needs a little bit of a boost, especially considering the foe he's up against, like Etrigan sort of re-controlled. He needs something to like at least level the playing field. Uh, I always maintain that he sticks to that old adage of when outmatched, cheat because yeah. sometimes that is how you win a fight. And that's what he needed that one time only, because he's got the backup of Jason Blood and Zatanna. I mean, it's he's John Constantine's way too edgy character to ever grace this universe. Yeah. But like we know that they've worked together quite a bit in the past, so that kind of advantage helps once. So that this once, I think, works out pretty well. And if we if we throw the clocks right to the last thing they did, it would have been the Batman Harley Quinn movie that came out, and they meet Swamp Thing in that. Oh, well, I mean, wow! One of my all-time favorite underrated characters. I love Swamp Thing. No, it's just sort of cameo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? must must try to catch it. I'm not familiar with it. Uh, but in any case, we can count on. DC's grand wide pantheon of unlikely and obscure, obscure magical characters sort of grace their presence. But uh, I think the important thing was that uh, this episode also, for me, really highlighted the relationship between um, uh, Bruce Wayne and Tim Drake here. There was a lot of still, there's a little bit of unease and like tension in how Bruce handles that relationship. That's that's why he benches him to look after Jason Blood as he's starting to age. How did you see that dynamic? I it felt like Bruce was protecting him at all costs. Like, because obviously Tim was like, I can go, I can help you fight this giant seven foot demon. Seven probably about ten foot in this, but and and Bruce is just like, nope, you stay here, you look after Jason. Like, and he 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 does feel like whenever there's anything happening. Tim tries to help Batman as well because, like, Clarion's using magic against him, turning him to thorns, turning him into a tree and stuff. And obviously, Tim is yelling and shouting, like, help him, he's going to die. And you really feel the father-son relationship here, don't you? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's really well emphasised by the fact that Batman's very noticeably shaken by 
having to fight against that strength or emotionally seeing an ally suddenly turn against him and also the combination of a magical physical threat if that's something that Batman struggles with there is no chance he wants to have Robert go up against that which is why he benches him but even then he still has the heroic spirit to want to look after Jason and to like create the the salt line for that magical force field following and helping out there's a really strong like uh balance and handling and and in their dynamic i think the father-son thing is a good way to do it because i think there's still elements where batman wants to be wary and wants to make sure that he's okay but there's still that heroic spirit in in tim drake which is something i'm so glad is consistent between this or this portrayal and the classic comics yeah tim tim is always kind of headstrong and but not in the same sense as jason todd in the sense that Jason's like headstrong, run in and gets beaten to death with a crowbar, whereas Tim's more headstrong, runs in, but is still quite capable of taking care of himself. Yeah, he's uh, he's, he's got Batman's level of like calculation and planning and forethought and awareness, which I think is yeah. uh, very important for those kinds of characters. Uh, before we do a bigger spotlight on some of the, the cast of voice talent that we've had in this episode, I want to talk about some of the, the great visuals. And I really want to shout out director director Tanaka here because there was a lot of elements to me that just like very niche little like, visual cues that I really enjoyed. I think it was that one point during the first fight when there were multiple illusion copies of Batman when oh, yeah. uh, Etrigan punched through them, they just exploded into bats. I don't know yeah. if that was just like a nature of the illusion itself, or if that's something that just like Jason just put in there to make it seem elaborate, which I thought I thought that was just lovely. Yeah, I thought those bits were really fun as well. And like when they're like pointing out which one is the real him, and then obviously the the illusions are turning to bats. There's a, a really fun bit where Batman's falling, and he clings on and swings up, and you kind of see his like acrobatics in that bit as well. Mm. Like it was just a really fun scene, that little chase. Like, and I think the director has experience as an animator yeah. in lots of anime as yes. well. So I did a little bit of the research, which it kind of, you feel it. Like, I don't know about you, but I feel like this episode visually looked a lot darker than, mm. because like, obviously it's quite a dark series. There's quite a lot, like most of it's at night. But when you've got characters like the Joker and the Riddler and people like that, there's a lot of bright colors, like Batman's rogues gallery are all bright colors, but against a demon who's also like, if Batman is himself kind of a demon of the shadows, then this was equally dark opposing force against him this time. That's true. But also there's a dark force that was still somehow brightly colored, like the, the, the off yellow skin, big red cape. There was a, a lot of yeah. colors there to go against Batman's darkness. And of course, we all know how dark the uh, the episodes are visually. It's animated on black paper. But I agree about the actual like anime style. But I also think that a lot of the episode, at least its climax for me, was uh, very brightly colored. That's the th other thing I was going to touch on. There was so many moments of like the magical blasts between Jason Blood backing up Batman and uh, Clarion that... Of course, this is a product of the 90s when Dragon Ball was at its best because it was at its best then. It's still waffle now. Um, those blasts of magical energy just just feel like those weird like moments when like Goku and Vegeta just throwing planets at each other. So, and when it gets to that point where he's defeated, then just everything goes white like in the climax of Akira. So, there's definitely elements of like the anime tropes here, but it still feels quintessentially Batman. I think. 
Yeah, I'd say it works for this episode because of the high levels of like magic and like black light like, cosmic sort of things going on, high energy sort of stuff. Personally, I I when Etrigan is breathing fire and it's kind of like a pinky kind of reddish fire. Mm. It stood out for me, and then obviously the the barrier that Tim puts around him and Jason, the bright blue, like you said, it's it does all stand out. It gives off such a magical kind of feel, like all of it, like and a little reminiscent of the King Arthur film. I found because obviously it's the Knights of the Round Table and Merlin. I don't know what it was about it. it. Might have been the way the lights shone when the spell was being cast, stuff like that. It did kind of flash into my mind. Yeah, I can see that. Sort of like bringing back that old world magic and mystery, swashbuckle, Dungeons and Dragons sort of stuff almost. So yeah, I think for a big cosmic magical episode like this, the bright and flashing almost neon colour palette definitely works. So you touched on it a little bit earlier on in the episode, so let's have a long look at the uh, the voice cast, because again, the talent on Billy Zane to create such two such different performances. Uh, when I saw the credits go up, I was like, Billy Zane? I know that, I know that name. I was like, oh, Billy Zane, who's done practically everything. Of course he was both Jason Blood and the Demon. The Phantom himself, Billy Zane. <laughs> the Phantom himself, Billy Zane, yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. always definitely truth. But, uh, so a little bit of a, a sad touch to talk about the voice of um, the voice of Clarion, um, yeah. Stephen Wolf Smith, because unfortunately he passed away in 2000, and uh, at the time of this he would have been um, only in his uh, early 30s when he recorded this. He, he was quite young when he passed away, which is uh, very unfortunate. But again, he was um, voices for was lots of bit parts here and there, so certainly on Titanic, uh, was one of the background characters in Dracula, one of the Leslie Nielsen hot, hot, hot comedy horror movies. Uh, did a lot of voice work. It, oh yeah, so great, right? Uh, did a lot of voice work in like lighthearted stuff like Time Travels and the Prince Valiant TV shows. But he was also best known as doing a lot of uh, soundtrack and um, composing work for some animations and uh, independent films. So a, a real talent that they were able to get for such an iconic, clear, sinister character. So I'm glad that his glad that his voice was immortalized on something so unique. Yeah, interesting choice, isn't it? Because obviously you could go down the route of well, like Simpsons and other kind of animated projects and get like a, a woman to do the voice of this young boy kind of character. But they they picked a picked a, a ringer because the, the Clarion was quite menacing. Like there's a bit at the beginning where mm. Tim is trying to bond, and <laughs> Clarion's like, "I came here on my own," and you're just like, "Oh well, you're fun, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> oh well, bundle of laughs. But still, the the youth was very clear. But still, that level of snark and advanced intelligence and just generally being sinister was definitely there. So we wanted to get a real clear performance there. But uh, I don't know how Andrew Romano used to do this. The voice direction and the voice casting for some of these characters is immense because let's talk a little bit about Peter Renaday, one of the um, the voice of the auctioneer right at the beginning of the episode. Somehow they get immense talent for bit parts. Uh, the laundry list of just DC voice work and like Marvel Comics voice work is immense because... Uh, in later in later installments, we can recognize him as the voice of Odin from Marvel Superhero Squad, uh, one of the online games, uh, but also of 
Abraham Lincoln of all people from Batman the Brave and the Bold, and then a laundry list of voice works from Final Fantasy XIII, Star Wars Uprising, uh, various announcer voices from the Archer TV series, Timeless Classic, and a personal favorite character of mine from the original Assassin's Creed games. He was the head of the uh, Assassin Order, Al Mualim. Is that wise, sagacious voice. And he's got credits of writing short stories uh, put to film and some of the voice, some of the background voice works and some of the working as members of the production crew for lots of animations for what looks like DreamWorks. A real yeah, talent here. Looking through the like, your list now, just on uh, like every Bruce Tim like series, he seems oh, yeah. to have a part in like original animated series, Justice League, Superman, Mask of the Phantasm, all these tiny little bit parts. Crazy. But again, in each of those in each of those performances, he played a wildly different character, giving exactly yeah. what the role needed at a given time. I personally think voice actors have done such a disservice in in a lot of theater and a lot of cinema, because as wonderful as huge celebrity uh, voice cast projects are like most things done by illumination these days um they always get celebrity actors whereas voice actors are such chameleons with their performances and they can give such a range just by them being alone in the booth that honestly they get kind of shied away from by a lot of other production companies and i think a talent such as this needs to be really remembered and cherished it, you remind me when we were talking about Andrea Romano, she, I saw it was an old interview from an old documentary many years ago when she was talking about animated series. And um, she was like, after the first like couple of seasons came out and it was such a hit, she said she had people knocking her door down, calling her up, asking for roles and like everyone wanted to be a part of it because they saw about how, like how amazing it was. And like, obviously Mark Hamill, the gold standard is the be all and end all, like, obviously you think about other actors who may or may not have had like kind of bigger roles and were looking to kind of stretch their voice talent a bit. This is the platform, isn't it? <laughs> like the, the Definitely the platform. They got the who's who for it because of some of the voice credits we've given in past episodes. There's also a time when you watch because i think most people would watch star wars first and then this show so they would hear the name mark hamill associated with luke skywalker so seeing that actor go on to be the joker and do it perfectly do it in a definitive way in my opinion it's just such a such an unlikely but surprising thing so yeah there's a lot of hidden talent in the world of voice acting and uh one such amazing talent is peter renaday for being just everyone and no one. We've got to respect him. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Everyone and no one. <laughs> uh, it's a very niche Assassin's Creed reference, and he was one of the grandmasters from the first, and in my opinion, the best game. So <laughs> to wrap up our adventures with powerful heroic demons, what would you say your big takeaways are from the Demon Within? Good, bad, or everything in between? I really enjoyed seeing a slightly vulnerable side of Batman when he's facing a threat that God forbid he's not prepped for at this <laughs> moment in time. And I really enjoyed, uh, Billy Zane's performance as Jason blood yeah. and demon. Um, I, <laughs> I, I could have done with a little bit more exposition when the cat is breaking into Jason blood's apartment to steal the brand. And, 
Batman, Jason Blood, and Robin can't defeat a cat even <laughs> before it's turned into a cat demon monster. <laughs> Which I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah, it's a little it's a little unlikely that a, a, a several thousand year old sorcerer and Gotham's greatest hopes can't beat a cat. A demon cat, sure, they can take they can take on a regular cat, especially one of the ones trained by Selena Kyle. But like a demon cat, that makes for a reasonable threat. So explaining that would have been good. But uh, yeah, I agree. We got the chameleon performance of Billy Zane and just a wonderful definitive portrayal of one of my favorite characters in Etrigan and Jason Blood. I think. My big gripe was that Etrigan didn't rhyme. He rhymed once in his dialogue. Yeah, I feel that exactly. I was you. You want it? You like if you know the character? Yeah. Just waiting mm. for the rhyme. Yeah, because I've seen him sort of put to screen in other animations, and the rhyming was okay at best. But at least the writers made that effort. And again, I've been spoiled by the the exquisite prose of Alan Moore putting him in perfect Shakespearean iambic pentameter. So. It's kind of the expectation. So I understand why they may have made the choice because there's definitely been times in his existence where Etrigan did or didn't rhyme when he speaks. But at the very least, the, the assumption is that he is more than often than he's not. So it would have been nice to have seen it, even just a little bit more. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And my one other thing was uh, when they're bidding for the <laughs> for the the brand, you got Jason Blood and, and Clarion both... It's like starting off the bidding, it goes up to about 200,000, and then Bruce just jumps on in with a million. Could have said 500,000, could have said 700,000. He just goes straight, straight up to a million. <laughs> like, I, I think that was still tactical bidding on Bruce's part. I think he needed to be able to put it to within reachable, but still so high that um, the Clarion couldn't reach it. Couldn't reach it. So, yeah. Uh, Again, it's also him showing off because everyone else yeah. in the crowd will be like, ugh, the rich boy, he's going to make the cover of Forbes again just for bidding like this. Why is he like this? And then Jason Blood saying to him, I'll pay you back for this, Bruce. You're like, he doesn't need it. He doesn't need that money. No. Yeah. What's he going to do with that money? Pull, like, put, buy more exploding gas balls and like f fresh tires for the Batmobile. He's fine. Yeah. But in any case, that was The Demon Within, an immediate favourite of mine and a solid favourite and definitive portrayal of the demon etrigan uh thank you for dear listening dear viewers but uh before we jump off and return to the form of man james my good pal where can our dear listeners find you and your musings across the grand wide internets you can find my comic reviews and opinions on dark knight news i am also on twitter as james atius dc27 uh and i retweet all of my own reviews so if you find me then you'll find my reviews I also have done a few podcasts for I Am The Night and uh, Dark Knight News and DC Comics News. So check me out there as well. All wonderful stuff. Do in turn to it, dear Bat fans. You will love it. I can promise you that. As for Little Lord Me, for more Bat-flavored things, you can look to Dark Knight News and DC Comics News for my multiple reviews of the month, both Catwoman and the infamous Gotham War in excellent spots right now. Uh, but as for my one true love, PC and tabletop gaming, you can find me on my pride and joy, fantasticuniverses.com, covering all news and opinion pieces on PC console, tabletop gaming, and everything in between. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinker, where all of my content on both of those platforms will be retreated at high speed. And follow me on twitch.tv forward slash IsItTinker, where I play many card games 
of digital varieties, including the excellent DC Dual Force. Yes, DC are finally on their own card game. You can play as the dynamic team of the Batman Who Laughs and Zatanna, or whatever combination in tune. Uh, hopefully they'll get the mobile port soon, but that is something for me to ramble up and about later. Thank you for listening, but uh, some very important things that you need to do, dear listeners. Till the next time, read more comics. And watch more Batman. Batman. <laughs>